This is a Bible study on chapter two of the book of John. And I think a lot of us remember, uh, anyone who's been in a, a Christian faith somewhat knows about vaguely of the story of Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. I think a lot of people uh, have heard that story. And as you know, it, it's one of the things is that it is a documentation of what happened, literally. But the other aspect of it is, did you realize that this is symbolic? What I found after studying the Bible for the past four years is that the stories that are within the Bible, they are literal events that happen. You know, some of them, some of them are just symbolic or metaphoric, but some of them are, are literal, but at the same time that they're literal, they're in here for a reason. And the reason is they are also symbolic. They are not in this book just to, for no reason at all. Yes, of course, it does document Jesus's first um, recorded miracle that he did, turning water into wine. So I could, I could see that, yes, that, that's a reason behind it. But there's more than that in here. There's way more than just the miracle that he, that he did, that first miracle. And I didn't even realize it until I read this chapter just before making this podcast today. And I noticed all these things. So I'm going to go through scripture and read it. And I'm going to pause and tell you what came to me and also where you can go to look things up also. So this is really interesting though. It's way more than a miracle of turning water into wine. So let's start. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. That's the very first sentence. And that sentence actually has more meaning than just a fact. First of all, look at the third day. That's significant. Secondly, look at wedding. That's also significant. So why are these things significant? Well, on the third day is, we may all know that Jesus rose from the dead. So the third day is significant. If you want to look into third day and see how many times third day is recorded in scripture, do that in an electronic version of a Bible. Search the word third day and you will see repeatedly in scripture different third day references. And as you read those stories or even check out the chapters, you will see there is a third day significance. So from the very beginning, when if, as I've noticed before, when God does miracles, when God's spirit, you know, so Jesus has the spirit of God in his human form. He, the spirit, the Holy Spirit descended on him when he was baptized. So he's anointed. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when that, when God chooses to do miracles, and Jesus is God, the Son of God, so when miracles are performed, they are done so that 
God may be revealed so that people who were there will know and believe. So there's a purpose. It's not just it's not just because Jesus wanted to give more wine to people. That's not the reason behind the miracle. It's it's so that they could see that he was someone different. He wasn't just a human being. He was someone connected to God. He was the son of God. But at the same time, that was also something that he had to hide from people because if people really knew who he was, he wouldn't be able to accomplish his mission that he knew he was here to do. His mission was to eventually die on that cross. That was what he had to do because he had to satisfy the law because the wages of sin is death. The only way to destroy that is or to atone for sin, if you go back to the Old Testament, the law that God gave was the only way that to atone for sin was a sacrifice of something living, and it had to be an unblemished, no defect, and so forth. This is a law that God created, and it is a law that will remain. So the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death, but Jesus' sole purpose was to come here and break that curse that man that was on mankind because all mankind would die. But when Jesus died on that cross, that's how he saved us. Now, of course, we will have a natural death. All people will die as a consequence of sin, but eternally there's life and there's life through Jesus. So Jesus came to make himself known, to make it known about the kingdom of God that is available to all people everywhere, despite where you grew up, who you know, what religion you're from. It doesn't matter as long as you turn to Jesus and turn to God and believe what Jesus taught when he was here. So you have to have the gospel. You have to understand the gospel, which is what we're reading, the gospel of John right now. You have to understand all of that and believe that's true. Because if you don't believe in the one who died for our sins to save us, then it's completely useless. I mean, that's that's the main point of it all, is that Jesus was the unblemished sacrificial lamb in a metaphoric sense that who died for us so that we could repair ourselves in relation to God and become holy through Jesus. So like I said, there's so much. That's the first sentence is on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Now the wedding is also significant because Jesus talks about when he returns and that those who have prepared themselves will celebrate with him at a feast, a wedding feast. And there are metaphors also where Jesus is the bridegroom and those who believe in Jesus are the bride. Well, primarily it's Israel, but then people who are non-Jewish are grafted in and become a part of Israel. And so therefore, it really goes to all people. 
Um, first, it was Israel that were the chosen ones, but because of their rejection, God opened it up to all people, anyone who will believe in Jesus and what he taught. And that um, eternity is available for all people, not just the Jewish people. So this is really significant. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana. So look up Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. Go ahead and read the whole chapter too, but that's that's where you'll see about this feast that comes about. And then also read Mark the one the other gospels chapter 14 verse 25 and there are also in Exodus 19 if you read all of that about the third day there's a lot of significance there that's when on the third day God came and spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai so the third day is really significant and has been shown to mankind way back, way back when, you know, back in Exodus with Moses um, in the early, early days, this third day was significant and it all points to Jesus. That's when we can start seeing that Jesus was referred to in somewhat of an abstract way back then, but it's almost like symbolically the events that were happening were ultimately pointing everyone are showing, leading everyone to Jesus and to make that connection, to understand with your mind there is a connection between these third days, between the wedding banquet, the metaphors, and and all of this stuff was symbolic to, for all of us, to understand and to, to basically understand about Jesus and why he was here. So, uh, those are some references, um, but then I'll go on. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. So here's something about wine. Um, I know there's there are religious organizations who forbid wine, but if you when you read scripture, you do see that there is no for wine is not forbidden to drink. In fact, Jesus says when he has this wine feast, the supper, the banquet, the wedding, that that's going to be the time that was in uh, Mark fourteen twenty five. That will be the next time that Jesus drinks wine again. When it'll be the new wine in the kingdom of God, and so if Jesus thought wine was forbidden, he would not, because he's holy and he's sinless, he would have never turned water into wine. He would have refused that. He would, just like he refused the temptations that um, when he was in the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted by Satan, and he turned down all those and he spoke scripture against those, he would have done the same thing. So any religion that's teaching that you can't drink wine is telling a lie. It's not scripturally based, but there is another aspect to it too. Getting drunk or having too much of it is forbidden in scripture. So in moderation, it's okay in according to scripture. And 
in excess, it really, it's just destructive is what it is. And it's very, very clear. You can look up Proverbs, um, go ahead and get into an electronic Bible and go into Proverbs and just maybe even search just wine, just search that topic and look in the book of Proverbs and it'll have all these statements about really how awful it is to consume too much wine. So the next sentence says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. So my hour has not yet come. That's an interesting statement too. Like, so why would Jesus say that to his mom? Why would he say, my hour has not yet come? Unless, again, and then it's recorded in scripture. So there's a reason why it's recorded in scripture. And it's probably recorded in scripture so that we find it later. We make these connections. But his hour has not yet come. It's like, it's not his time to be in the kingdom, um, the, the kingdom here on earth when Jesus returns. That is not happening yet, obviously. This is when he was present to begin with. But he's saying, you know, my hour has not come, the appointed time. Nothing happens before the appointed time, just like Jesus's return. People keep talking about Jesus's return, and it's not going to happen until the appointed time. There's nothing that anyone here can do to make it happen. It has an appointed time by God. God has determined the appointed time that Jesus will return in the future. But and Jesus does those things. But so anyway, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial cleansing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. I see significance in this statement. This is verse six. So there are six stone water jugs, jars, and they were used for ceremonial washing, cleansing. So six jars used for cleansing. This is interesting in that there is um, there has been some studies that are very interesting right now about the seven days of creation and about each day being a thousand years, and you know by the seventh the end of the 7,000 will be the eternal kingdom. But this is really interesting when you look at dates. And again, none of us can date set anything, but I, there we're in the close range. As scholars are in the close range of determining timeframes based on history and lining up genealogy from records of people and their sons and uh, how long they lived and so forth. So within the Jewish faith, they have determined that I think it's like 3791 was the, the, um, is kind of the beginning. I can't remember if that was the creation or that was maybe when sin entered Adam. Anyway, there's, uh, I think it might have been maybe when sin entered in him. But anyway, you, you can look it up. But whatever, um, if if it's almost 4,000 years ago that that happened, and we're in the 2,000 years, we're at 6,000, somewhere in the 6,000 part of the age, 
um, we're getting close to that. Um, say it's four and five, six, we're a little bit over that. So at the seventh day, our 7,000 year, that is when many are anticipating that will be the millennium kingdom, the period where Jesus reigns for a thousand years. So we will complete quote, six days or basically 6,000 years, but then the seventh year, there are the 7,000 years, the last thousand year will be the reign of Jesus. And it has a lot of validity to it when you look into that. So that's something to, to study, but it, I think, relates to this story too, because there are six jars. So basically God's giving mankind six days to cleanse themselves and really 6,000 years. So before Jesus returns. So I do see significance in this verse six in chapter two, that there are these six water jars and they were used for ceremonial cleansing and how it relates to the end of time prophecy. Like this this miracle, this story relates to the end of days prophecies. And I never would have understood that before, except from prior studies and others who have done some research too. But it really, it's so interesting. Scripture is amazing. Um, then, And also about my hour has not yet come, like Jesus has an appointed time that God has given. So everything happens according to God's will. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that it that had tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. And that's something interesting is that I think is also symbolic in that the best is yet to come. God's kingdom is going to be greater than any of us would have ever imagined. And this is another symbolic thing that the wine that Jesus drinks with his people at the banquet feast is going to be something so much better. And that just could be symbolic um, also. That could just be that the life after, the eternal life, is going to be so much greater and better than what we are experiencing now. I mean, I 100% believe that, um, but I just can't imagine what the world around us is going to look like. In uh, Revelation 21 and 22, it gives us a little bit of a glimpse of like streets of gold. And when it talks about foundations, there are all these like semi-precious stones that are used for foundations, just something just spectacular that is just mind-blowing, that is super luxurious. That's something that we don't really see today, but something so magnificent is what God has planned. Then uh, let's see, getting back to what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So again, the purpose of the miracle was to reveal who Jesus was 
and so that his disciples would believe. So his disciples, he, you know, people aren't just going to be really gullible about what somebody says. These people, his followers, many of them ended up dying, being basically murdered for their faith in Jesus. And you wouldn't die for a lie. So if Jesus wasn't who they said he was, wouldn't they save them their lives and, and re, recant, you know, uh, renounce all of that? Um, yeah. I mean, think about any human being. They're going to save their life. If, if somebody says, if you don't say that's not true, I'm going to kill you. And then the disciples refused to do that and therefore got killed. I mean, what more do other people need to know that this was true? So I don't understand why people have such a hard time believing about Jesus when you have facts like that where someone actually dies because of their belief. It's, and they were present. They saw Jesus firsthand. So it takes a little bit more for us who have never met, seen Jesus in person or lived with him or communicated with him in person. Yes, it takes a little bit more, but it's all documented. And why is that so hard to believe when you see and you understand what occurred? These these people wrote these things down because they wanted others to believe. And yet at the same time, many of them experienced very tragic, horrific deaths because of their faith, because they believed, because they would not renounce that Jesus was not who he said he was. Think about that. Uh, okay, then when it was almost time for Jewish Passover... That is probably something that was that's very critical to know about Jewish Passover and what it means if you aren't of Jewish faith to know that the Passover was very symbolic of Jesus, where a the blood of the lamb, which we already saw these references to Jesus as the Lamb of God and his sacrifice that makes atonement for all of mankind. So back in Exodus, they, um, the people, the Jewish people were saved because an angel told them to put the blood of a lamb on the outside of their door. And then this angel of death was going through and killing people in that time. But anyone who had the blood of the lamb would not be killed. Well, that's so symbolic of our future because the blood of the lamb, those who, who are in Jesus Christ, who believe in Jesus, who accept his sacrifice on the cross as the atonement for all, all of our sins, we will be protected. We will not have eternal death. Just like in that literal and symbolic sense at the time of the Passover, just like that occurred, that is that was symbolic. That was symbolic of Jesus providing the blood that will protect all of us and give us life. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the Passover is important to know about. Okay, going back. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. 
His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And that's a reference to um, Psalm 69, 9. And I meant to read it, but I didn't read it. So I'm going to read it afterwards. But um, there's probably some symbolism in Psalm 69, 9 and probably worth reading. Uh, The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. Again, here's the three days, um, just the third day, the three days. Jesus said, destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he was spoken of was his body. After he raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So this is important. Verse 22, after Jesus was raised from the dead, all of a sudden the disciples are saying, oh, wow, wait, he said this. He talked about, you know, tear down this temple and I will raise it up in three days. He was talking about his own body. So then they were again recalling things that Jesus said that maybe went over their head. They didn't quite get it, but they thought, wow, that's kind of weird that he said he could do that. But they remembered it because it was so strange. Then later on, before they wrote the scripture, they're revealing it to us to say, we heard this from him and he said this. And yeah, we thought it was kind of weird, but he wrote it, he said it, it's stuck in our minds. And now after He died and and then raised on the third day. We get what he was talking about. That's the kind of thought process that I'm seeing here in this scripture. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw signs. So again, this is being documented by John and he's saying many people saw the signs. He was performing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. This is another story where, just like Nathaniel, when he was talking to him and he told Nathaniel, well, I saw you um, under the fig before uh, Philip called you. And he sees things and he said, there's, you're a man without deceit in you. That was in the the prior chapter. Now again, he It's showing us again that he didn't need to know about anybody around him because he knew what was in each person. He could read people's minds. Jesus was aware of the thoughts of all those people around him. Really interesting. And and just thinking, you know, here he is a man on earth knowing all these thoughts. Now that he's in heaven, heavenly realms with God, what? What more could, I mean, he's no longer in his human form and he has all of this knowledge of everything that we are doing, every single thing. I mean, he's aware of it. Um, That's something that is just something to think about. Every action we take is something that God is seeing.